This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. If you are new today, uh, we are walking through the book of Romans together. That's kind of typically what we do at First Baptist. We're usually walking through a book of the Bible, just kind of verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And so we've come to chapter 6 and verse 23 today. And Paul here is talking about two ways to live, two ways to live, two destinies, two outcomes. What do we see here in God's Word? If you would just find that um, in your copy of God's Word, we have Bibles available to you in the pews, Romans 6, and beginning with verse 13. And I'll ask you to stand in honor of God's Word as we look at it together. Two ways to live. Romans 6 and beginning with verse 15. The Apostle Paul asks, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for this amazing passage. Lord, we thank you for the things that we've been seeing week after week in Romans 6 about growing in you, about freedom in you, true freedom. And so, Father, we, we pray that you would, would speak to our hearts right now. Lord, when we open our Bibles and your spirit is working through your word, the amount of good, the amount of life change, the amount of utter transformation that can happen in human lives is incredible. And so, Lord, we ask for you to form us, shape us, change us, open the eyes of our hearts to see beautiful, wonderful things in your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
A couple of months ago, our family was on a college visit in, in, in South Florida, and a great place to visit in February, uh, let me tell you. And so we're on uh, I-95, uh, just south of, of Miami. Now, I have driven I-95 since I was a teenager. I had to drive 95 to, to go back and forth to college and uh, then after that to seminary and of course it's kind of the you know, way we go to Florida and we've got dear friends that live near Charleston, South Carolina. So you know, very familiar with 95 going south to the point that I know where the Chick-fil-A's are and the barbecue joints and the diners and drive-ins and dives and what exit they're on and, and all of that. And of course using 95 going north as well to, to DC and know what those traffic jams are like on 95 in Northern Virginia between uh, Fredericksburg and, and D.C. And so, I mean, 95 is a road that kind of seems like an old friend to me. But on this particular day, a couple of months ago, we're driving just south of Miami on I-95, and I look up and I am startled by the sign that I see because the sign says, you have reached the end of I-95. And suddenly, this, this interstate that runs from Maine to Miami just comes to an end. I mean, we had literally come to the end of the road. All of us are going to come to the end of the road. And where we end up is determined by what road we're on. You know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about roads I shared a couple of weeks ago that I was once on a plane with a, a, a lady and, uh, and we got into a spiritual conversation and uh, she said to me, well, I believe in the God of the Sermon on the Mount, not that God who talks about judgment and hell and stuff. At which point I knew she'd never read the Sermon on the Mount because in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus says things like this, Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. What, is, what does Jesus say here? He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus says there's a, there's a wide road to hell. Sometimes, you know, if you're on, like, roads, don't you, and you're in a traffic jam, like, you know, between Williamsburg and uh, Richmond on 64 or something, and it just seems like inevitably it's, it's bottled up or kind of, you know, going down to, uh, uh, going up, you use the Hanford Ridge Bridge Tunnel or something like that. Inevitably, I mean, you reach these, these, uh, these, these traffic jams, it seems like. You ever, like me, I just think, why don't they just widen this? Like, why is this just, like, two lanes? It's ought to be, like, ten lanes. And we wouldn't have any problems anymore. Well, Jesus here says that this road to hell is, like, really wide, but there's still tons of traffic on it. In fact, this is such a heavily trafficked corridor that it makes I-95 between D.C. and New York just seem like a, a country road. It's just so, it's a wide road, but there's still tons and tons of traffic on this road. But then Jesus talks about this smaller road, much, much more narrow. But let me tell you, there's not a lot of traffic on it. 
I mean, you can just cruise on this road. Not there, because there are so few people on this road in comparison to the other. Which road are you on? Paul here in this text is talking about two roads, two ways, two highways, two outcomes, two destinies. Where are we headed? What do we see here in verses 15 through 23? The first thing you see is you got to serve somebody. <laughs> that comes from a Bob Dylan song, by the way, by that very name. And the lyrics of the song goes like this. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. That's what Paul is saying here in verses 15 and 16. What do we see? He says in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Now, once again... Paul is, is having to refute the false accusation that many critics of, of Christianity were making because they were trying to say, hey, Paul, look, all this talk about grace, you know, it just gives people a license to sin. And Paul's response was, oh, no, <laughs> you don't understand the gospel because the, the, the gospel doesn't give you the freedom to do whatever you want to do. The gospel gives you the freedom to do whatever God wants you to do. The gospel sets you free to obey God. Now, before you were a believer, you weren't free to obey because you were enslaved to sin. And that's what he talks about here in verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, when using the metaphor of slavery, unfortunately, Paul was talking about something that the people in that culture knew a lot about. Scholars estimate that in the first century, when this was written, that the population of Rome was about 30 to 40 percent enslaved. And many of the early Christians were slaves. And they knew that it was impossible to serve two masters. Just as Jesus says, it's impossible for us to serve two masters. And so we're either going to be serving uh, God, which is going to result in flourishing and, and freedom and eternal life, or we're serving sin, which, which leads to enslavement and ultimately to uh, death. And by death here, he means not just physical death, but eternal separation from God and, and hell. Now see, the, the irony is that our culture equates sin with freedom. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, if you just, if you want freedom, you know, sin, sinning, sinning is somehow equated with, with freedom. But, but in reality, what does sin lead to? It leads to slavery. Okay, whether the sin is, you know, alcohol or drugs or lust or greed or anger or envy or pride or whatever it is, sin does not lead to freedom. Sin leads to, to utter slavery, which is why it is to be resisted at every turn. I love what Garrett Kell uh, says about this. He says, you will never regret resisting sin. You will always regret giving in. So flee from sin and flee to Jesus. It's very wise. I want to say this again. 
you will never regret resisting sin. Next time you're in temptation, I want you to think about this. You will never regret resisting sin, turning away from sin. You will always regret giving in. So flee from sin and flee to Jesus. And we talked about last week, it's not just an issue of repentance. Repentance includes replacement. Right? We saw last week, Paul says, uh, do not present the parts of your body to sin, but do present the parts of your body to God. Right? So it's turning, it's fleeing from sin and fleeing to Jesus. And finding our satisfaction in Him, uh, the only one who can satisfy. You've got to serve somebody. Second, delivered to Jesus. Delivered to Jesus. Let's look at verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So let's kind of walk through verse 17 here. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. Now, we get a flavor here of what the believers in Rome were coming out of. I mean, we think we live in kind of a crazy, sinful culture today. Um, our culture today in 21st century America is, is, has a lot of similarities uh, with the Greco-Roman world of the first century. Okay, because every kind of, of, of sin was, was present in that culture. And, and the believers in the church at Rome were coming out of all kinds of lifestyles of, of sin and bondage. And so he says here that you who were once slaves of sin have become what? Obedient from the heart. What a beautiful expression. In other words, these people in the church at Rome had been transformed from just kind of utter pagans to people who love God and, and who not only were obeying him, but obeying him from the heart because they love him and, they're, and, and they delighted in o obeying him. It was a miracle. It's not only a miracle, but it's a fulfillment of prophecy because in the Old Testament, prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied about a time when God's spirit was going to be poured out. And when, when people's lives would be transformed to the point that they would just desire to obey God from their heart. So like in Jeremiah 31, 33, he says there's coming a time when the law of God is going to be written on people's hearts and they're going to want to obey him from the heart. The spirit changes our want-tos. And in Ezekiel, God says in Ezekiel 36 and verses 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the prophecy here is that there's coming a time when the spirit is going to be poured out 
And when people are going to be born again, they're going to be given new hearts. Their stony heart is going to be removed. It's going to be replaced by a heart of flesh and, and, and God's Holy Spirit working in the lives of people is going to give them the desire. It's going to move them to obey God from the heart. I remember Paul talked about this in, in chapter 2. You know, he talked about people who had the, the, the law of God written on their hearts. He talked about people who were circumcised uh, in the heart by the Spirit. That was the fulfillment of these prophecies. And it was, it was happening there in the church. And it happens today. And then what does he say? Let's go back to verse 17 again. He says that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, the Greek here is very interesting. Um, the way that the ESV translates this as committed, it's not a bad translation. But I actually think the the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, is a little more, um, a little more vivid in, in translating this Greek word. So I want us to look at that. Uh, you'll see it on screen. Uh, let's look at verse 17 in the, in the CSB. He says there that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. Hey, you remember in chapter 1? When we talked about the fact that uh, uh, Paul talks here in chapter 1 about that uh, God gave, gave them over. God gave them, gave them up. Okay, so we talked about the fact that, that if we persist in sin long enough, that eventually God will just kind of let us go our own way. <laughs> you know, in other words, if we say to God long enough, I don't want you, eventually God will say, okay, I'll, I'll give you what you want. And he, and he will hand us over uh, to the consequences of our own choices. Scary. But, but, but what, is, what does Paul say here about these believers? He says that they had been handed over. Instead of handed over to sin, handed over to Jesus, delivered to Jesus, handed over to the, the, the pattern of, of teaching about Jesus and their lives were being transformed by that teaching. You know, when, when, when our country had, had slavery, uh, one of the most terrible things, probably the most terrible thing about slavery was the way that it separated families. You know, and husbands and wives could be separated from one another. The husband or the wife could just be sold. You know, and even more tragically, kids could be sold off to another master. Uh, parents could be sold off. And it just, it just separated these Families from the people who love them. And see, the situation with us is that before Christ, we were sold into sin, right? Separated from God, separated from his love. And now what's happened in Christ? We've been handed over. We've been handed over to a master who loves us and who has adopted us as his own children. And we're growing in him we're growing through the, the body of, of, of teaching about him. And he's shaping us and conforming us. That's sanctification. And we're going to talk about that in, in a little bit. Before that, though, let's, let's look at verse uh, uh, 19. 
He says, for just as you once presented your members, and, and members there just means the parts of your body, okay? So just as you once presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members, the parts of your body, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So Paul here says that, there, that sin has a snowballing effect. You know, when we were slaves to sin, you know, we, we said, you know, we, we took the, the, our, our minds, you know, and our eyes uh, and our hands and our feet, the parts of our body, and said, said uh, here you go, sin. Where, where did that get us? He says that that, that kind of, of, of lawlessness just led to more lawlessness. That's the way sin works. Sin has a snowballing effect. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Sin begets sin. Again, I want to look at a quote here by Pastor Garrett Kell, very wise. Garrett Kell says this, The more you feed sin the stronger it grows. Do you ever think, you know, if I just appease sin a little bit, it'll leave me alone? It don't work like that. The more you feed it, the stronger it grows. And the more you feast upon it, the more it changes your appetite to want more of it. It's like sugared poison. You know, it's like you taste the outside of it and it's sweet. But what you don't understand is that inside, deeper in, there's like, there's like, you know, toxin, poison that's going to kill you in the end. And so he says that, you know, rather than presenting the parts of our body to sin, which just leads to more of it and ultimately to, uh, to death, what are we to do? Okay, we're to, we're to take every part of ourselves, okay, brain, eyes, mouth, hands, feet, and we say, Lord, it's all yours. Everything I am is yours. I want it to be leveraged for your glory. I want to present every part of who I am to you. Third, this passage tells us about two outcomes. Two outcomes. Verses 20 and 21. Paul says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting? At that time, from the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. Now again, we get the flavor here of what the, what the, the makeup of the church at Rome was and what some of the things that the people in the church had come out of. I mean, they were coming out of this pagan culture where they had, you know, they had led lifestyles of you know, all kinds of sin and bondage. And uh, Paul says, you know, what, what were you getting at that time when you were still slaves of sin? What, what, where was that getting you? <laughs> what were you getting? What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6. It gives you kind of an idea of what, of what the types of things that people were coming out of when they came to Christ in first century Greco-Roman culture. Paul says there, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And then what does he say? Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Hey, does Jesus change lives? You bet he does. And so look, if the church is doing its job, then not everybody in the church is going to be somebody who grew up in a, in a stable Christian home. Now listen, the best testimony in the world is to, is to grow up in a, with, with godly parents um, and, to, and, to, and to receive Christ at an early age and to follow Jesus consistently from an early age and avoid so much of the pain and the sorrow that sin brings. That is the most wonderful testimony. But look, if the church is doing its job and if we're out there sharing Christ with people the way we should be, that then not everybody in the church is gonna come out of that situation. The church is gonna have, have lots of folks that are coming out of all kinds of brokenness and all kinds of, of bondage to sin. And you know what, that's what we want. This is the place for that. This is a place where people are being made whole and people are being healed and where broken lives are being restored. And where we're all growing together, loving one another together. Check out verse 22. What does he say here? He says, but, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. I want us to camp on this word sanctification for a couple of minutes. Very, very important. So the word sanctification is, is the, same, the same Greek word as the word holy. And so it, it, the original meaning just kind of means to, to cut or to separate. And so holiness or sanctification is the, the process where, where God is, is separating us more and more from sin and giving us more and more freedom in Christ. One theologian, Wayne Grudem, defines sanctification this way. Grudem says, sanctification is a progressive work of both God and believers that makes Christians more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in their actual lives. So, we notice here some differences between sanctification and justification, right? When we were in chapters uh, 3 and, and 4 and 5, we talked a lot about justification. Okay, so justification means to be made right with God. But that's not a process. That happens in a moment of time when we trust in Jesus. Sanctification is very much a process. As Grudem says here, sanctification is a progressive work of God. In other words, it's, it's a process. Justification, not so. Justification happens the moment that we fall into the arms of Jesus through repentance and faith. Right? The moment that we come to Jesus and trust him as our savior, we are justified. We, we, are, we are made right with God in, in a moment of time. Right, so that's not a process, that's a moment. Sanctification is a 
process. In fact, it is a lifelong process. Okay, there's another difference here between sanctification and justification. As Grudem says here, sanctification is a progressive work of both God and believers. Justification, uh, not, not so really. In justification, our only part of the deal is that we bring to God our sin <laughs> and our trust. And we, we, and we fall into his arms, right, through repentance and faith, right? Justification is kind of just, just all of God just, just saving us when we, when we come to, to him. In justification, our works um, are not wanted or welcome, <laughs> right? It's not by works, right? We just, we just come to Jesus and we, and we turn to him and we trust him, right? But in sanctification... God is working, and we're working. In sanctification, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and transforming us from the inside out, but we are not passive in that process. What have we been seeing in chapter 6? Do not present the parts of your body to sin. Do present the parts of your body to God. In other words, sanctification involves effort on our part, right? The Holy Spirit is working supernaturally to transform us, but yet at the same time, um, we are battling, fighting against sin. We're at war with sin and seeking day by day to turn from it, you know, and to go hard after God. And so in sanctification, um, God is at work, um, and we are also at work. So again, sanctification is a progressive work of both God and believers that makes Christians more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in their actual Lives. Now, is that process ever going to be completed this side of glory? No. <laughs> no. One day it will be. One day we're going to be glorified. In chapter 8, that's what we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about glorification. Glorification is when Jesus comes again and we get new bodies, glorified bodies that are no longer going to be subject to sin. Praise God. Sin and death will be no more. Glorified and perishable bodies, free from aging and disease and, and, and sin and death. That's glorification, right? That's, that's coming one day, right? So sanctification is kind of like the messy middle <laughs> between justification and glorification. It's, but it's where we are right now. We're in process. We're being formed we're being shaped, but we haven't arrived. Now, is it always a smooth process? No. Sometimes sanctification looks like this. I want you to direct your attention to the screen. Okay, 
So for the benefit of anybody who's listening to the podcast or a CD, I'm going to describe what we just saw on screen. There's a guy on an escalator, and he falls down on the escalator, but what's his trajectory? He's still moving up, right? Through it all, through it all. The trajectory is still up, right? And that's kind of the way it is with us as believers, right? It's not, it's not smooth. <laughs> it's not always pretty, but, but, but by his grace, you know, God is continuing to grow us and shape us and form us to be more and more like Christ. And the trajectory is up, but it's not always smooth and, and pretty along the way. The great thing is that we know the outcome. And that's not in doubt. What does he say here in, in, verse, in verse 23? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to, to think about, let's, let's kind of tie some things together of, of what we've seen in verses 15 through 23. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. What do we see here? We see... The master that is served, which is sin versus God. The outcome of that service, which is death versus eternal life. And then how that outcome is reached. A wage earned versus a gift received. That's what we see in verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, in other words, if the ultimate, if your ultimate outcome is death, hell, it, it will be the wages that you earned and you worked hard for it because sin is hard. A life of sin is no picnic. It's, it's ultimately, it's really hard. And then where do you end up at the end of the road? Hell. But if your outcome is eternal life friend be assured you did not earn it it came to you as a free gift that you simply received like a little child let's pray Father, again, we thank you for <clears throat> the gospel. We thank you for the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son for us and that Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us on the cross, took all of our sin on himself and died as our substitute. And that as we sang earlier, that death has been defeated. You defeated the grave. We thank you that eternal life is available in Christ and that it is offered to us as a free gift. And as we just continue to bow before the Lord, friend, I would ask you, have you received this free gift? Because it's only yours if you've taken it, if you've received it. 
How do we receive the gift of, the, of eternal life? Simply by faith. By turning to Jesus and trusting in him. And I invite you today, turn away from, from trying to do life apart from the Savior and turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I'm taking my hands off the controls of my life. I'm yielding to you as my Savior and my King. And so, Father, I pray for anyone here today that, that came in not having received Christ. Lord, I, I pray that right now that your Spirit would deal with their hearts and that they would, would not turn away from you but that they would turn to Jesus and trust in him. Father, we pray that, that you would help us, those of us who are, are, are already believers, uh, Father, help us to, to, to every day uh, just be presenting our lives to you, all of us, all of, uh, every part of ourselves to you as instruments for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with him, you want to know more, uh, we don't want you to leave here without having somebody to, to talk with. And so um, pastor's going to be here at the front during our time of invitation. We'll be here right after the service. Um, come talk with us. We would love to just, uh, just come alongside and, uh, and talk more with, with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and, and God's speaking to you about... Um, making this your church family. And if that's the case, uh, we would love to, to, to welcome you. Um, and so we, in, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. 
find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.